everybody. Welcome to the JBU Cast, episode 8. I'm already off to a pretty busy start to my week this week. Usually what I do is I type up a few notes, and I kind of use this as a general guideline before I get into the questions and what I want to talk about. So today I'm just going to ramble uh, aimlessly. I'm going to start off with Hard Docs, episode 3, last night. <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but I'm thoroughly enjoying Hard Knocks so far. Uh, I think for me, whenever I watch a show, what is great to see with our team right now compared to, say, the, the Rams last year is that we're having fun. You can see visibly the entire team is having fun. Even Gerald McCoy at this point, who is typically mopey in a lot of ways from all the PTSD he has from losing uh, in, his, in his tenure with the Bucks, he looks like he's having fun, too. So for me, that's the biggest change that I'm seeing with the team right now on Hard Knocks. It's been really great to see that um, because I think Greg Schiano sucked a lot of the fun out of the football, uh, out of the game of football, I think. Lovey didn't really do much to, to restore that joy of football, and then we dropped Jameis all of a sudden. Things start getting better. Uh, I really, really, really have been enjoying Hard Knocks for that reason. Um, highlights from last night that, that I really liked was... Uh, everything about Chris Baker, good lord! Uh, I had no idea that he was such a uh, a shit talker and a funny one at that. And the team seems to really like his his attitude. Uh, they they seem to enjoy his company. Um, I've, I've been really really liking him so far and what we've seen of the show. Uh, there was a part last night where Gerald McCoy turned to him and said, "You're so fat. You got to be the fattest dude I know." And he says this as he's eating a hot dog. On the sidelines. So just the the, the craziness and, and fun that, that uh, Chris Baker's bringing to the show. Uh, I love it. Um, other things from last night that, that sparked, you know, that came out to me and, and really stood out to me was, was the whole Alex Fleming. Wait, that's his name. God damn it. What's his name? Fleming. Who's Alex Fleming? Who is that name? I, I know that name from somewhere. Anyhow, Fleming, who got cut last night. Just kind of reminded me, you know, we've got the collective bargaining agreement coming up in 2020, which seems like a long way away, but it's actually closer than you would think. And there is so much right now that the players union is is getting screwed on. Um, if we go back to the CBA that got put in place, I think it was 2012, um, Roger Goodell should probably get his face on... NFL Mount Rushmore for the deal that he got ownership and Demora Smith should probably be thrown in a meat grinder feet first for the, the, the deal that, that he got the players union, which is no deal at all. Um, a sport like baseball, basketball contract contracts are fully guaranteed and you don't have nearly the injury risk that you do uh, in, in football with any of the other professional professional sports. And now with what we know about CTE as well, that, what was this, this BU study that came out recently that said that I think 96 player brains got tested, all but two of them had CTE post-mortem. Uh, with, with, with what we know now about brain injuries and just regular injuries and the risk that, that football players are, are exposed to, 2020, when that CBA comes up for renegotiation, guaranteed contracts should be 
a must-have for all... Uh, it, it must be a starting core for the players' union to come at, in at. And the other component of that, and I'll just go on, a, on an aside here, is Roger Goodell's disciplinary authority. Right, so luckily we haven't really been subjected to the arbitrary wrath of Roger Goodell yet. But you look at the inconsistency of punishments applied, right? Like Josh Brown gets a game last year for having well-documented incidents of domestic violence towards his wife. And that Ezekiel Elliott, who was never, never charged and, and is based mainly on, um, uh, you know, the accounts of the witness, uh, um, he gets six games and, and I'm not trying to weigh in one way or another of who's guilty and who isn't. It's more just how inconsistently Roger Goodell has applied punishments to players in the league. So I think that's another thing that that needs to be on the table for when the CBA is, is renegotiated, right? Just limiting and, and curbing the, the commissioner's disciplinary power and that, that's a segue to the third thing that I think that, that they need to include in this, this new CBA from the Players Union perspective, and that is allowance of recreational use of marijuana or even medical use of marijuana. Because I don't know about you guys, but I don't care if players are smoking weed as an alternative means of pain management. When we look at how much this opioid ep- epidemic has spread in the country and and how there's been widespread abuse of it uh, in the NFL as well. And this isn't anything new. If you look at uh, Brett Favre's biography, Gunslinger, really wonderful read by Jeff Perlman, if you if you haven't read it yet. Favre was abusing Vicodin to the point that uh, he, he had his intestines blocked he, from the constipation. Uh, he had a seizure from it. And he nearly died from his abuse of painkillers. Uh, Calvin Johnson, when he retired, said that they were handing them out in the locker room like candy a lot of the time. And with what we know now about how widespread the opioid epidemic is and how dangerous it is, with the amount of pain that these guys are subjected to, let them smoke weed. It's not going to give them a performance advantage on the field. It's it's not like a steroid. It's, you know, uh, when, you, when you smoke weed, all you want to do is listen to fish and eat some Funyuns. And for them to punish players, I understand it's under two different policies in the substance abuse policy and the, the con- what do you call it, the NFL conduct policy. But there's something really wrong when you can get more games for smoking weed than you can hitting a woman. So this is just something I was thinking about last night. Sorry to go on a rant there about the CBA, but it's just things that need to be considered. And I'd like to hear your your, your thoughts on that in the comments here on where you would like to see the 2020 CBA going from a player's perspective. All right, that's enough ranting for me this week. Well, actually, it's just beginning because now I'm going to get into the questions. All right, you make devil's advocate. You really want an answer to this. Is a hot dog a sandwich? And you ask me if I'm afraid of the controversy. How do I let this question go unanswered? No, guys, a hot dog is is not a sandwich, all right? Uh, if you go to a Panera, if you go to a Potbelly, if you go to yeah, a Subway, if you go to a Quiznos, 
Can you order a hot dog there? No. You order sandwiches at those places. Sandwiches don't taste pretty good, but look at any of the major sandwich retailers in the country. And uh, you're not going to be able to order a hot dog there. Hot dogs are are not sandwiches. They have to be between two buns for it to be a sandwich. Now, I'm Jewish, and I'm not really supposed to be having uh, you know, non-kosher hot dogs, but good Lord. I love a hot dog as much as the next guy. Give me an unkosher dog. I was at a baseball game on Friday, minor league baseball game, and just having that, that sweet fat kid food in my mouth as a Jew, it just made me feel closer to God. I'm going on a rant here. To answer your question, no, a hot dog is not a sandwich. All right. Hope that puts an end to that controversy. Or we're going to start issuing bans on our Buccaneers for anybody who disagrees with my stance on hot dogs not being a sandwich. Okay, you make ask what Jameis Winston will we see in year three of being our franchise guy? Will we see the dominant hero dominate guy? You're so silly with your typos, you make. Will we see the dominant guy who showed up in two and a half out of three quarters, played this preseason, or the half out of three quarters wild throwing gunslinger Jameis? With another hypothetical strong season in 2017. Okay, I'll get to that in a second. Let me answer the first one. The answer is you make, you're going to get both, right? Like Jameis is this generation's Brett Favre. He's that guy who is wildly unpredictable, who a lot of his game is going to be played in an improvisational manner. And, and he's going to always let that competitor in him kick in. So we're never going to really see a point in Jameis's career where we get the consistent methodical play that we got, say, out of uh, a Peyton Manning or or a Drew Brees. Well, even Drew Brees is now pretty uh, pretty wild with some of his turnovers, but I'm talking prime Drew Brees. And that's fine. We just have to account for that, right? We can't expect Jameis to be a conservative, game-managing passer. We can expect him to be more like the Favre-Cutler types in the league. So you're going to get both. You're going to get a lot of smart, Solid quarterback play from him throughout his career, but then you're all, you're going to also get the face palming worthy throws, like the one that he made that really pissed off Bizarro Rand Paul this week. Uh, I'm not worried about it either way. It's just something that that I'm uh, that, that I'm accounting for watching him play. You mix next question with another hypothetical strong season in 2017. Which member of the coaching staff? Could you see leaving the Buccaneers to pursue a better position? I know Mike Smith is candidate number one, but I think Jay Hayes may be a dark horse. Yeah, so I think Mike Smith is, you know, probably the most viable candidate to get poached by another team still at this point. Um, He has the head coaching experience with Atlanta, and really he did a good job in Atlanta, even, you know, up until the end. Um and then he's got the success that he's had as a defensive coordinator in Jacksonville as well. And now, once our defense started really understanding what he was coming at them with last year, and they learned to better communicate, Mike Smith uh, is is showing that, that we really got a steal of a hire in him. And un- unfortunately, with that comes the, the classic move of poaching a coordinator away from a team to become the head coach. So, you know, just like we saw with, with our division rival, Sean McDermott, in, in Buffalo this year. So, I think he's still the most likely candidate. (coughs) 
excuse me, I'm getting over a really bad cold. I think he's the most uh, likely candidate to get poached. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but it's a uh, it's a possibility for him. Uh, I'd be curious to hear more about why Jay Hayes would would maybe be a dark horse. Uh, it it from from what I found with with a few exceptions like um, man when uh, when when John Harbaugh got hired to uh, Baltimore it was it was it was him off the special teams coach in in, uh, in Philadelphia but it's usually the the defensive coordinator offensive coordinator who's going to get that uh, that head coaching position Vaughn Pitt on a scale from Joe Dirt to Fabio. How likely is it that Riley Bullock takes a fifth linebacker spot with Bond injured? I really don't know. I really don't know. It's it's so hard because, and it's even harder to figure this out now because before, up until this year, cut down day, there was no cut down day, right? You had, you had I think you had to get the, the roster from 90 to 72 and then to like, and then it get and then I think it was like 72 to, to the 52-man roster, the final roster. So we still have half of our roster to eliminate, and we still have uh, two preseason games left to go. So anything can happen now and then from injuries, God forbid, um, to guys stepping it up and, and making some surprise uh, ousters of, of the older players on the roster. But... With what we're seeing of Bulla and his performance in games, he's really, really stepping up to the plate. So I think there's a good chance that he will take that fifth linebacker spot. And if Devontae Bond continues to, to remain injured, he's a six-round pick from last year. He was on IR for the beginning with, with that hamstring injury. Uh, I think that they might cut him at this point. So, yeah, I like Bulla, I like Bulla's chances, Joe Dirt, but... Uh, you know, like I said, luck can happen now between the end, uh, between now and the end of preseason. Pinnacle three wants to know why I'm scared of Christian McCaffrey. And the hood, the bag, and the ugly pretty much answered it well for me. He said, "Cause he's spooky." Yeah, he is. Turn on that tape from Stanford, and what I really like about McCaffrey is is his vision, and especially when he gets into open space, he's so shifty and he's so hard to bring down. I see. McCaffrey, <coughs> excuse me, being a really good checkdown option for Cam this year, and I see him adding a little bit more value in the receiving game than the rushing game, where I still feel like uh, Jonathan Stewart's going to be the featured back. But McCaffrey's the kind of guy like Reggie Bush. He reminds me a lot of Reggie Bush that you could dump the ball off to him as a checkdown, and once he gets into open space, he's at his best when he's running between the tackles or bouncing outside. Kind of like Reggie Bush, he's he's uh, a little bit weaker in that regard. But I, I wouldn't be surprised, quite honestly, if as a rookie, Christian McCaffrey is a 1,000-yard receiver as a running back. But I've made a lot of really stupid predictions in the past. I once said that uh, Matt Leinart was going to be an eventual Hall of Famer. That's my uh, claim to fame right there. So I'm probably wrong about McCaffrey, but I really, really liked him coming out of Stanford. I think he's going to do good things. All right, moving on. <clears throat> but the Falcons, throughout the preseason, our offensive line has played pretty well. Do you think this performance will be sustained through through the season, or is it just a byproduct of preseason play? Uh, 
I think it's a byproduct of preseason play, uh, quite honestly. I, I've had kind of a bearish mentality about our offensive line, uh, particularly on, on the interior. Um, Donovan Smith has, you know, he's actually had a pretty good preseason. I'm actually seeing a little bit more uh, of the agility, quickness off the snap that we hadn't seen from Smith up to this point. So I'm actually seeing a market improvement from him so far. But we're seeing him match up against a, a couple of middling pass rushers. I want to see how Donovan Smith fares against if if we get a shot at Miles Garrett, right? I want to see him play Miles Garrett. I want to see him up against um you know somebody who who is is really uh among the the, the top talent. Not that Miles Garrett is yet, I think he will be, but week 1, man, we are up against Cameron Wake on the outside and Dominican Sue on the inside. That's going to be a trial by fire, right? I think that's when we're going to really know uh, where Donovan Smith is and, and how much he's ready to, to escalate and and really dance with the big boys this year. In terms of the rest of our offensive line, uh, Sweezy, <coughs> excuse me, Sweezy is looking pretty good uh, so far. I think he had that, that really boneheaded holding call uh, last game, but uh, he's certainly looking looking uh, like less of a, a liability than, than I thought he would be. Marpet transitioning well to center. I think it, it, it's going to be a, a, a process for him that requires patience. Um, I think that we're not going to see him making great plays from the beginning. I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him to adjust, but I love Ali Marpet, and I think he's got what it takes to, to, to really rise to the occasion there. Out of the right side of our, our line... Hopefully we get Dotson back at 100% health by uh, by regular season. Dotson has always been <coughs> one of the more uh, underrated right tackles in the league, in my opinion. Uh, he's got that really big big problem with flags, much like his, his counterpart on the left. Uh, and, and that's you know kind of one of those, well, besides that, how'd you like the, the play Mrs. Lincoln situations? But uh, at the end of the day, Dotson is one of the more uh, reliable cogs on our offensive line. Basically, to bring the answer to this full circle, uh, it's that I am a little bit more optimistic than I was before coming into this this uh, preseason, but I'm, I'm still not uh, not very bullish on, on what we're going to get out of them. More to come after we see them handle Endomican Sue and Cameron Wake in week one. All right. Hood, the bad, the ugly. Most of the offseason, he says, I was worried about the offensive line and was confident in the D as a whole. After two preseason games, <coughs> I'm now worried about aspects of the defense, specifically against the run, and much more confident in the OL. What opinion, if any, of yours has changed about two brief and meaningless games? I don't really know if I've had any opinions change about this team that, that I had before, right? Like, we're still seeing... I think I said that I had a big concern about what our cornerback situation would look like if Grimes went down. We're getting a preview <coughs> of what it looks like when Grimes goes down. Um, Vernon Hargreaves is still very much a raw uh, work and product. I, I think he's kind of right where he needs to be at this point, right where we expected him to be. But good Lord, if, if he's going to be, you know, our, our, our number one quarterback this season, I think that, that that was a concern I had then. It's a concern I have now. 
Um, and then our safety situation hasn't been that pretty as a whole either. So uh, I think our secondary could be a huge, huge Achilles heel for us. And uh, I've said this many times, but we're in a division with the last two MVP winners and Drew Brees is going to be a future Hall of Famer. If you don't have a secondary to stop those guys, you're kind of fucked. <coughs> so, yeah, I don't really think I've had any um, any of my opinions changed after two brief and meaningless games. If anything, they've been reinforced. Uh, but we'll see. Like I said, I'm wrong 99% of the time. And now for a really interesting username here. Uh, it's Sexy Dog Boobs. I say that as my dog is sitting right here next to me. It's kind of kind of weird. Anyhow, Huffer Reedy, who makes a team, or Bobo, I guess. Ah, uh, God, flip a coin. I I think I have no idea. Is is really the answer? I think uh, I think if anything, Huff will probably make it just because he's got the special teams experience too, but. I really don't know. It's it's hard to say for, for a spot like that. And then lastly, Geezer Punk. I think this question may have been asked before, but if not, how do you see our running back situation shaping up? Who do you think doesn't make the team? Oh, God, this is a tough one. <coughs> God damn, excuse me. Um. So first of all, how do I see it shaping up? I think watching Doug Martin run was really pretty in our in our Jacksonville game. It was like 2012 and 2015 Doug was back and and unfortunately that's kind of the cycle that we get, right? You get you get those Doug Martin seasons that tantalize you and and make him look like a a amazing all-pro level running back and then after he has a good season he kind of regresses and Looks like we're in the upswing of that that cycle again with Doug Martin. So uh, I'm optimistic about him. He was looking really good against Jacksonville, but unfortunately, as they pointed out in Hard Knocks at multiple points, he's suspended for three games right now, and that turns us to Charles Sims, uh, McNicholas Cage, as Hood the Bad the Ugly called him, uh, and um, uh, Peyton Barber, and we have uh, uh, Charles Sims. Did I say that? I forget. Um, I think we have a lot of guys who, who, who serve well as complementary backs. Uh, I don't think we have any really good feature back. Uh, and, and that's something that we're going to be missing with, with Doug Martin out that we're going to just have to, have to account for, uh, turn to the passing game more. Uh, so who do I see not making the team? I think, I think there's a couple of guys on there who are, who are camp bodies who are, uh, uh, quite obviously, there as camp bodies, to the point that I couldn't even name them off the top of my head. Um, but if I were to guess the odd man out, out of all of them, it would it would probably be Peyton Barber. Of course, Dirk Cutter has kind of insisted and given him a public vote of confidence and said that Barber has feature back abilities. And Dirk Cutter doesn't really say that kind of thing uh, to give empty. Praise is empty praise to players, so I don't I don't know. Take that for what you will, but uh, he, uh, he he's a guy who I would guess would be the odd man out right now, unless McNichols really 
doesn't live up to the expectations and has a dogged rest of camp. But if I were to guess right now, uh, Peyton Barber would be the odd man out. All right, everybody. Uh, that is all I've got for this week. Thank you all for the questions, even even the stupid hot dog questions. And uh, we will probably be back next week. Have a good week. <laughs>